Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a bit. Each episode, I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. Today's question is, how do I have ADHD without binge eating, chronic dieting, and body image issues? After having a great conversation with Meredith earlier this week about ADHD in general and the symptoms and how it influences your day-to-day, I'd highly recommend you going back to that episode. Um, Meredith and I also spoke about how many people with ADHD binge eat, and I'm very happy to have a nutritionist on today who will tell us all about the relationship between food and ADHD and how we can learn to eat intuitively. Consider yourself warned for any potential triggers about eating disorders because we'll be talking about them quite a bit. And I actually think this episode is helpful not just for people with ADHD, but for anyone who has a slight tough relationship with food, me included. Uh, So let's go to the episode. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Of the different eating disorders, binge eating disorder overlaps the most with ADHD. Binge eating disorder affects around 3.5% of women and 2% of men in the U.S. An estimated 30% of them have ADHD. Researchers attribute the higher frequency of obesity occurring in adults with ADHD to lack of impulse control and poor planning skills, leading to poor food choices and irregular eating habits. Today's amazing expert is Becca King, a registered dietitian nutritionist who is passionate about helping adults who struggle with ADHD and binge eating, chronic dieting, and body image issues to find food freedom and improve their self-esteem. Becca is 30 years old and is from Charlotte, North Carolina. And as I just mentioned, you're 30, you're, you've just turned 30. Um, my first question always is, how are you liking your 30s? And in your case, I'm going to switch it to what do you expect of your 30s? What do you expect for yourself in the next decade? I'm, I think I'm excited. Um, I am hoping for more like stability. I feel like my... 20s was like you know a wild time between like my undergrad years in college and then doing grad school becoming a dietitian and then starting my own virtual practice was like amazing for my 20s so I'm hoping there will be a little more like stability in um my 30s and hopefully more travel is another thing I'm hoping for because pre-COVID, I was like, I'm finally done with school and I'm going to have a job so I can actually like go travel and do things. And then COVID was like, yeah, just kidding. You're not doing that. So um, you're going to hold off for um, a couple more years. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, you're excited. That's very important. That's good to hear. First of all, I am very curious to hear whether you have ADHD or if you don't, where this interest comes from. Yeah. So I actually do have ADHD. So I was diagnosed when I was a sophomore in college. I was 19. Um, And so I really wasn't that like interested in nutrition for ADHD until I was like trying to figure out my, where I was in the intuitive eating space, like what my niche would be. And I was like working with a really good friend. And that's when I was like, 
Oh, and thinking about my own story with binge eating and I was like, and eat and other eating disorders that I was like, Oh, like there's this whole ADHD connection here that nobody is really talking about. And then I did some market research and a bunch of like Facebook support groups for women with ADHD. And almost all of them said they struggled with binge eating. And at the time, the only resources out there for ADHD were like how to feed a little kid on a stimulant or, um, like eat this, not that for ADHD. And I was like, there's so many other things that ADHD impacts in relation to food that nobody is like really talking about, or even the research sometimes will just kind of like gloss over and we'll focus on like risky driving and like other things that I'm like, yes, those things are dangerous and bad, but like we have to eat every day, several times a day for our brains to work. So like, this is important. <laughs> Make it count. Um, interesting yeah. that you were 19 because talking to Meredith before, um, when most, especially women, when they haven't been diagnosed as children, it comes much later in life, much later than 19. Yeah. So I wonder how that process yeah. went for you. Yeah. So I was in therapy for my eating disorder and it was between that and then my best friend and who was my roommate my freshman year and sophomore year of college has ADHD as well. And like we were two peas in a pod and it was just very much lined up for me. And I had just kind of brought it up to my therapist. I was like, I think this is what I'm struggling with because when I got to college, like the systems and like my mom had kept me really busy and like in sports and doing things all the time. And I had like good systems in place. And then I got to college and that's when everything kind of went out the the window. And I was like, I can't even like studying is hard enough, but I can't even like keep my dorm room, any semblance of clean. I like deal just emotionally was all over the place too. So it was like, there's something going on here that doesn't like anxiety or depression don't quite like fit that description. So that was kind of how I brought it up to her. Um, but a lot of times transition periods in life can be times when you might notice or your ADHD symptoms can kind of become more apparent. When all of the habits that you had before as coping mechanisms fall, <laughs> they, they yeah. you lose them because you're moving, then it comes up. Yeah. And like COVID, I think for a lot of people too, a lot of my clients have gotten diagnosed during the pandemic because all of the systems and routines that they had in place disappeared. And it was like, I, I don't know how to do the things that I normally don't have issues doing. And so it kind of just like pulled the curtain back and was like, Hey, you were doing a lot of things to manage this and it worked, but now those things don't work. Interesting. Can you tell us why ADHD and food have such an important relationship? For some people, eating can be very challenging because ADHD has a lot of executive issues with executive functioning. And like, there's a lot, which is like planning and organizing and executing tasks. And there's a lot of that when it comes to like cooking and, you know, going to the grocery store, remembering that you actually need to eat during the day when you have a bunch of other things going on. And what kind of people do you see in your clinic? I mostly see women who are usually diagnosed later in life. Um, so most of my clients are probably like between their 30s and 50s. Um, and most of my clients struggle with binge eating or overeating. 
in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes I'll work with men too, but it's mostly women that I work with. Um, and so it's really interesting for them. A lot of times food has been a way to like self-medicate because it does give our brain dopamine very much like stimulants or medication do. Um, and so a lot of my clients will be like, I could never understand why I was always eating and I wasn't hungry. And I just, there was, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then be like, I just would eat all the time when I'm bored or graze or not eat all day because I wouldn't recognize that I'm hungry and then binge at night. And so then when they get diagnosed and they're like, oh, this is why I've always a snacky person or eating when I'm not like, and then it's just like light bulbs go off and they're like, oh, now I get, now I get it. Like you said earlier, binge eating is the most um, common eating disorder yes. with ADHD, right? And is that really because of that dopamine hit more than bulimia, for example, with anorexia, people don't eat. So you miss that dopamine yeah. hit, right? Yeah. Um, but then still binge eating is more common than bulimia. I think a lot of it is dopamine seeking behaviors, or it can be the like cycle I call it the ADHD binge restrict cycle where like you forget to eat during the day. You don't recognize that you're hungry or whatever you go or you barely eat during the day. And then once you like kind of relax and you're done with the day, it's like, I call it the hunger monster that comes out and it's like, oh my gosh, I am, I've barely eaten all day. And then at that point, it's really hard to like regulate your eating when you're ravenous. Um, and so then you're more likely to overeat or binge. And it's also because your body's like, Hey, you haven't fed me all day. Okay, so it's really a combination of your body finally recognizing that it's hungry, or your brain rather, and wanting that dopamine hit. Yes, yeah, and I think for a lot of my clients too, like eating isn't fairly like accessible activity and doesn't require a lot of effort either. Um, so, like, you can sit on the on the couch and watch a TV show and eat and you know, and get your stimulation. And then you're also distracted, which means you're not going to be, you know, as aware about how much food that you're eating. And so then it's like, oh, I'm almost all the way through this bag of potato chips and I just brought some to have a snack, but I didn't even realize that I was like really doing that. Is there a medication for binge eating? Like, is there anything you can do apart from we're going to get to the intuitive eating, but is there anything else? There is... One medication that's approved for binge eating disorder, um, it's called Vyvanse in the U.S. I want to say in Europe, Europe it's called Elvance. Um, they're like very similar names. Um, but that one has been approved for binge eating. And I will usually like tell people with a caveat, like, yes, this medication will help you during the day, but it does wear off. So like once it wears off, you can be very hungry and you can't be on it all night all day because it's a stimulant. So you would never sleep probably. Mm. And that would be very bad. Um, so I always like to tell people like, yes, this medication can be very helpful, especially if like you are using food to self-medicate. Like a lot of my clients will find, Hey, like I, like I had a client who wasn't medicated and got on medication. And she was like, I can actually eat regularly now throughout the day and like stop eating when I am actually full. And I actually have like I can actually think through the process of cooking and make myself meals now more regularly because my brain has the dopamine that it needs to do those things. So like that piece is, was super helpful because it was just like the missing piece for her of like wanting to work on a relationship with food, but like it was the dopamine seeking piece that was really challenging for her. Um, 
So I always like to tell people like, yes, it can help with binge eating, but if you don't actually address what is causing you to binge eat as well, like if it's usually just dope, it's not usually just dopamine. We usually always have to deal with the diet culture stuff, eating for, you know, to deal with emotions, all sorts of things can trigger us to binge eat. And so it's like, if you're not also working through those things, when your medication wears off, you're still probably going to be binge eating. And do you see that with people with ADHD as well as people without that it is about that dopamine hit, but there's often a layer underneath? Yeah, I would say dopamine's just one component of it usually because like some of my clients will start working with me and it's like, I'm just, it's just because I'm looking for dopamine and then we'll dig deeper and there's usually multiple things and which is totally okay. I think it's just like eating disorders are really complicated and complex. And then um, in your case, so you're not a psychologist for like going really deeply into say traumas from, from their youth or whatever. Like, How does it work with you? How do you help as a dietitian? I like to think because with intuitive eating, it is a very like personal journey. So like I'm here as like a way to guide you through, you know, the different, there's 10 principles in intuitive eating. So like my job is to kind of guide you through those principles and help you explore your relationship with food and obviously answer nutrition questions if they're there. Um, but not necessarily like I think having a therapist or, um, someone that you can talk to because a lot of times things will come to the surface if we're talking about things where it's like, Oh, this is what, like, you know, something, you know, this, diet that my mom put me on when I was a kid or the way people talk to me about food or my body, you know, started some of these behaviors when I was younger. Those things I would say are probably something that's worth bringing up with a therapist and walking through because that's just not in a dietitian's scope of like, I can help you maybe identify those things, but I don't necessarily have all of the tools. So working with a psychologist and a dietitian at the same time could be really helpful. If it's accessible for you and that's something you can do, I think it's super helpful to kind of have both people to turn to because they can help you with the more the mental side of things and I can help you with like the, the food side of things. Like a lot of what I do is helping my clients with like the how to do things because for a lot of people with ADHD, it's not like there's a knowledge deficit when it comes to like what they should be doing or what's helpful for them. It's like, how, but how do I actually do it in a way that I can do it as consistently as possible. Um, ADHD, Dr. Hollow is a famous psychologist. He says we're consistently inconsistent. So it's like, how can I get myself to at least try and do the behaviors and things I know that are helpful more consistently? And one way we've mentioned it before, you do that as by teaching them intuitive eating. Can you explain what that is? Absolutely. So it is basically like, a self-care framework with eating. Um, so unlike a, a traditional diet where we're usually just focused on like, typically it's just weight, um, that we're focused on or our physical appearance. Um, intuitive eating also encompasses like our mental and emotional health and, you know, puts value on that. Um, so it really, I think is nice because it kind of like the attunement of mind, body and food is kind of the idea with it. And how do we break that binge restrict cycle? Learning how like oftentimes if you are not eating enough during the day and binging at night, the way to break that cycle is by making sure you are eating 
regularly throughout the day. So trying to eat every three to four hours, even if it's something small. Um, but a lot of my clients, just that at baseline is usually where I will start is breaking that cycle, that like cycle and figuring out how to make sure you're getting enough in during the day. Cause it's just your body kind of overriding you. If you're like, Hey, I'm not going to eat all day. And then I'm only going to have one meal at night. That's not going to be enough <laughs> like energy yeah. and like nu- nutrients to help someone function properly. So it's like, Oh, my body's just playing catch up from what I didn't get all day. So if I shift that and spread it throughout the day, I like to explain it like keeping the hunger monster that comes out, by, like, <laughs> keeping him away by eating during the day. Um, it's probably like the first, one of the biggest things. And then untangling your food rules can also be really helpful because sometimes that can feed into that cycle where it's like, oh, it's not the right time to eat. So I shouldn't eat right now. Or, oh, I don't have a healthy healthy or a good option available. So I shouldn't, shouldn't eat anything right now. Um, so a lot of challenging some of the rules that we might have. And what does an ideal day look like in terms of eating? How do we keep track of it? So you're saying every two to, or every three to four hours, you should have a snack or a meal. Yeah. The like three meals and then like a mid morning snack and a mid afternoon snack is like kind of like a general eating pattern that's recommended. But I usually will also encourage my clients like to get curious and that eating pattern may not be what works for you or what your body needs. Like I personally usually have like a mid, I have breakfast, a mid morning snack, lunch, and then dinner and usually an evening snack. Sometimes I'll have a mid afternoon snack, but that's just kind of how my day goes. Um, and it works for me. Um, so I think that's the cool part with intuitive eating. It isn't like, here's this one specific way that every single person has to eat. And if you don't do that, you're a bad person or like you're going to somehow be unhealthy. It's like, no, explore what works best for you and makes you feel good. And that really will look different for everybody, which I think is really cool. What are some good snacks to have on hand? Anything. So like a good snack kind of quote unquote formula is like, at least two of your three macros. So at least, you know, carbs, usually it ends up being like carbs and protein or carbs and fat. Um, but it could be a protein and a fat too. Um, but at least two of your three macronutrient groups. Um, and I like to think of things that are relatively low effort to grab, at least for my clients makes it easy or more accessible to eat. So when they recognize that they're hungry, it's not like, Oh, I need to go in the kitchen and like make this whole entire snack and do all this is easy. I can go to the fridge and grab this and eat it. Like, and that's more doable. So like I do, um, I love hummus. So I have little like individual size cups of hummus and carrots are a big one for me or pretzels. I love Greek yogurt and cottage cheese for like a good protein source. And then either put like fruit in there. Those are like my kind of go-tos. Nuts can be a good one. Um, cheese, dry roasted edamame is another yummy one. If you like crunchy things, a lot of my clients like a lot of crunch. Um, so learning to some of your like sensory preferences for things can be helpful with like, what's going to be a satisfying snack to me. Like something that's soft usually isn't going to do it. Like a soft food won't be very satisfying. Mm. And I'll be like, I need something else. <laughs> but if there's like a little bit of crunch in my meal or snack, it usually helps me be like more 
satisfied. Okay, amazing. So key here as well is make sure that it's ready to go. You just walk to the fridge or into your kitchen and it's it's there. Yeah. You can grab it. Yes. Yeah. And I'll even have clients who will keep it, you know, if we're getting up for some people, transitions with ADHD can be challenging of like even just getting up and going to the kitchen. You might be like, why did I come in here again? Or like, or get distracted with like, oh, there's dishes in the sink. Let me go do that. And then you're like, oh, wait, I wasn't even, that was not why I came in this room. So some of my clients will even have, if they work from home, keep some shelf stable snacks like in their desk drawer or on their desk so they can like remind, like even just bringing it up for the day, like, hey, I'm going to go put this on my desk as my snacks for the day so I don't forget. Keeping something in your car just in case you get hungry is super helpful if you know you spend a lot of time there. so that way, if you get hungry, it also means with impulsivity, you have something there versus like, let me stop it. Go, let me go through the drive through. Not that that's bad, but like, maybe it's not really what you want in the moment, but it's just like, I'm really hungry and need something. Oh, let me go stop and get this or that. And then you might be like, that was not really what I wanted or those foods don't make me feel good, but it's what was available. So you just brought up the drive through. What are your views in how healthy those snacks need to be? I practice with intuitive eating, all foods fit. Um, and so I always will like re- like frame that with clients who are starting their intuitive eating journey where they're like, well, if I let myself, you know, not follow these food rules, I'm just going to eat fast food or cake or cookies or potato chips like 24 seven. And I'm like, but how would you feel if you did that? Like, yes, you have permission to do that. But how would that make you feel? And they're like, I, w- I would feel terrible. And I'm like, exactly. Like, yes, it just... Yes, I could do that if I wanted to. And you might have some experiences where that happens. And then you're like, oh, yeah, this is not this doesn't feel good. Um, How do we avoid or how do people with ADHD avoid feeling guilty when they screwed up a day when they miss meals or they ate something that they didn't really feel like eating? How do we avoid that feeling of guilt? And I actually think this is not even really just people with ADHD, but there is a lot of people out there, including me, that can feel really guilty at the end of the day for what I ate. Trying to practice more neutral language with food can help where like, instead of it being good versus bad, like kind of neutralizing those things. Cause we often internalize that if it's like, Ooh, I ate a bad food. So I'm bad. I should feel bad about myself for that. And the cool part with intuitive eating where I think it's nice is that there is no failing in intuitive eating. Every opportunity that you eat is just a learning experience. Like for me, it was a really helpful shift to like, at the end of the day, if I did binge, instead of being like, ah, I did it again, or I'm such a bad person, or I'm a failure being like, why did this happen? Like, what was going on? Like, was, was I feeling a certain way? I'll look back at my day in terms of eating and be like, oh, you know, we barely had anything, you know, we only had breakfast and lunch, and we didn't have any snacks. So like, yeah, it makes sense that you were hungrier this evening. So like that curiosity piece versus getting curious versus judging ourselves, I think can help. I think that's a really, really good idea. Just like being a little nicer to ourselves and pff, me too. Um, and I like the part about looking back at your day and seeing if there, if you can see a pattern um, where maybe yeah. you didn't eat enough or you missed a certain nutrient, maybe the timings, like you mentioned yeah. earlier as well. Yeah. Like I had a moment, um, a few years ago, I remember like, I just didn't want to make a protein for my dinner. So I was like, <laughs> I'll just have a salad. It'll be fine. And 
And then like probably 45 minutes later, I was like, I'm still hungry. And so then I'm just eating pretzels. Like I love pretzels. And so I was just like mindlessly eating pretzels. And I was like, we need a protein. Like you just had vegetables pretty much and a fat with your dressing. So like, and now some carbs from the pretzels, like you need a protein. So I like scrounged around and found a cottage cheese in the back of my fridge. And it was a really good learning opportunity. Like once I ate that, I was satiated and didn't need food the rest of the night. And so I was like, okay, note to self, like protein is important at meals. Like sometimes you just need the reminder of that of like, okay. No, you'd be, everyone would be hungry in no time. And if people with ADHD want to lose weight, how should they go about that? I, because I'm an intuitive eating dietitian, it is a weight neutral approach. So we don't necessarily focus on intentional weight loss. The, there's a lot of research to show that like, that doesn't really work when we just focus on weight loss long-term. Most people end up regaining that weight over a five-year period. Um, and usually some more than, um, more than what they've lost, they tend to regain. Um, so I will usually talk to my clients with like, what healthful, like health promoting behaviors are you engaging in? Which ones are you not engaging in? And how can we focus on doing those things? And if that means that, you know, adding more movement in, eating more fruits and vegetables, getting more protein in. It's becoming more and more clear through research that how you as a parent um, behave and look at food shapes how your child will look at it as well. And you mentioned it before, like if you get little remarks when you're younger, like, oh, isn't this a lot? Or some like remark about your body, it'll stick forever. Um, So if you have a child with ADHD, Or if you're a parent with ADHD, how do you make sure that you keep it healthy, all the communications around food and body image? Yeah, I think parents, a lot of times parents have to work on their own relationship with food um, and their bodies and being and doing that can help them model those behaviors for their kids. I think if even if you've already maybe had those types of conversations with your kids and you're like, Ooh, I realized like I shouldn't have said those things to my kid or, you know, or those things, it doesn't mean you can't repair those things. Um, but I think following, there's a lot of, um, intuitive eating accounts for kids. Now, a lot of them are like how to talk to kids about food without it being like this good versus bad of like teaching kids, like, Hey, these foods are going to help give you energy these foods are, you know, they're tasty and delicious, you know, sweets are tasty and delicious, but they're not going to give you as much energy, or they might give you a stomach ache if you eat too much of them. Um, so it's kind of like guiding kids on that journey a little bit. So I think following those sorts of accounts, there's also a book called how to raise intuitive eaters. It's a newer book. Um, and it's really, really good. If you look for intuitive eating, like kid accounts, um, there's, um, growing and growing dot intuitive.eaters, anti-diet.kids, I believe, or there might be multiple dots in there. Um, I'll put these accounts on uh, the website as well, 30andabit.com. So I guess as a parent going to an like a, a dietitian or, or these accounts and trying to find help elsewhere can really help with getting that good relationship. First of all, Make sure that you have a good relationship with food as a parent, and then that you can help your child uh, grow a healthy relationship. Kids are really like, they're really into, like, they really are intuitive. So, like, 
learning how to like plate food for them in a way that like, or how to explore food with them. If you're trying to get them to eat new foods and things like that, it can be, um, it's an interesting area of like, as someone who doesn't have kids, I'm like, I don't know how to navigate all that. Like, like, but it's, I know it can be really hard to be like, Hey, how do we get you to try more things without being too forceful? Because that can like also not can turn kids off from food. If you're like, you have to eat it. It's like, no, we're not going to do that. And so like how to do it in a way that like encourages them to be, um, like more, I guess, curious about food, but um, it's all like tricky, I think, to navigate. It is. It's also, it just seems kind of like a minefield also, because there are so many different styles and and different experts are promoting different styles of introducing food to children. Like I have a bunch of girlfriends who had children in the last, say, year, six months to a year, and they're starting to, to introduce solids. They're all doing it differently because they follow different accounts or trust a certain expert better. But I also feel like these theories, and this is also me as a, person who doesn't have children speaking, but I feel like these theories also change every couple of years and we're doing something completely different. How do you keep up? There's so much nuance in nutrition and that makes it really complicated to like figure it out. And that's where I think too, like the individual piece comes in of like, I could tell you something might make you feel a certain way, but at the end of the day, you eating it and you're the only one who's going to know if that food makes you feel good or if it doesn't make you feel good. Like I might have an idea, but like, I really don't, you know, what is tasty and satisfying and energizing for one person might not be for somebody else. And that's where like that individual piece comes in where it's like the research gives us a general idea on things, but like, you really have to like, you can look at that, but also think about your own experiences with food. Because there's oftentimes things where it's like, oh, that actually like, doesn't impact my digestion or doesn't make me feel terrible like so it maybe does for somebody else so like but that doesn't mean I shouldn't eat it because someone else doesn't feel good when they have it so I guess there's a lot of trial and error especially at the beginning and then when something does go like wrong quote-unquote like um for whatever reason like maybe you didn't have the best day or you skipped a meal whatever then do not feel guilty about it just try to look back at your yeah. day see where potentially something went wrong or you were missing something and just try again yeah. tomorrow yeah yeah and yeah find ways to like engage in self compassion if that's helpful or um just like being kind to yourself in some way i think can be really beneficial to be like hey this is okay and this is normal and like if you do struggle with binge eating like it's not just going to magically stop when you start intuitive eating like it's going to be a journey like it's a process to unlearn those things and it takes time especially like depending on how long you've been struggling with binge eating or how long you've dieted like that can really vary like the timeline of like how long it might take for you and that's okay but I think it just like it was really helpful to like learn for me, like reading the book Intuitive Eating. I was like, okay, I can't fail at this. And just understanding that like, just because I binge doesn't mean I failed. It just means I need to get curious and explore what was going on in my day. Or if there was like another unmet need, like, oh, I wasn't getting enough sleep or I was feeling, you know, feeling lonely or other like things and like understanding that like all of that can play into. 
The final question at every episode is if the listeners could, if you could give the listeners one takeaway of this episode, what would it be? I was thinking about this earlier. One takeaway. I guess my one takeaway would be if you are struggling with your relationship with food, getting curious and exploring what works for you without judgment and that like acknowledging that what might work for you might look very different than what works for someone else. And that's totally okay. Like I have people who be like, all my friends do meal prep and this and that, and I just can't do it. And I feel terrible because I can't spend my whole Sunday in the kitchen cooking food, or I don't want to eat the same thing all week. And I'm like, that's okay. Like there's a million other ways to prep food or have things prepared for the week that aren't the like traditional meal prep type of thing. And that's okay. If like, if that's what works for you, like eating, you know, nourishing your body at the end of the day is more important than not. So figuring out how to do that in a way that works for you is really, I think, the most important. Amazing. I love that. People can book a free consultation through your Instagram page, which is uh, ADHD.nutritionist. Is this specifically for people with ADHD or can you help lots of different people? I mostly work with people who have ADHD. Um, If you want to work with me and you don't have ADHD, you're also totally welcome to as well. Um, The small group coaching program that I offer is more geared towards folks with ADHD. I have had people who aren't like formally diagnosed, but they're like everything that you post about on social media really resonates with me. All right. So people can book a free consultation there. And I would definitely advise all of our listeners to follow you because um, what you also share, which I really like, is little tips and tricks on like um, your favorite snacks to have in the fridge, for example, or how to manage your time. Like there's there's always these funny little videos, little snippets of information. So I think there's a lot for people to learn on your page. Um, so definitely go follow you at ADHD.nutritionist. Thank you so much for your time, Becca. I really enjoyed this conversation. I could talk about this for hours, I feel like. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please give this podcast a five-star review. This really helps with growing and reaching a bigger audience. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at 30 and a bit podcast, and we will be back next week.